What's up? It's your pal, Once You Can Sonicus, and this is The Bar Is Low. Every episode, we take a look at a fan fiction or a collection of fan fictions, and these can be either good, bad, or in between, but mostly, they're bad. I thought I should begin by actually trying to define what a rare pair is in what might actually be the last episode of this series. Why it took me this long, I don't know. Though it varies by fandom size, of course, for Avatar, both The Last Airbender and Legend of Korra, I would define it as a ship with less than 50 works. Usually I go by what's on AO3, but I understand that not only are there works on other sites I'm not counting, but sometimes things get mistagged. In a broader sense, I'd probably define a rare pair as consisting of less than 1% of shipping heavy works in a fandom, but I do think it's pretty subjective, and you can't always pin it down. You gotta go with what your heart tells you. Also, as I mentioned, I've decided to discontinue this series, or at least put it on hold for a while. It's had a good run, but I've covered all the fix and pairings that were calling to me the most. There's always some unexpected ships I didn't think of that'll stumble across, and there are certainly some of those on this episode, but most of what I cover are the pairings that I think of on my own, and I did most, if not all, of the ones that were really calling to me. So this is gonna be the last Rare Pairs episode, I think, but plans always change here on the bars low, so I can't say for sure. Today's fucked up meter rating is a 6 out of 10 for non-explicit sexual acts involving minors, and, and Zuko getting cucked so fucking hard. He gets cucked so hard, oh my god. And he completely brought it on himself. That's really the only explicit fic we're doing today, and it's all the way at the end. I'm going to be doing fics from both Legend of Korra and The Last Airbender. Pretty even balance, it'll be mixed together, but it should follow the usual format of shorter and lighter stuff towards the beginning, and the darker, smuttier, and longer fics towards the end. This episode is also going to be almost exclusively gay stuff. Mostly lesbians, some gay ships too, and there's only one fic star in a straight pairing. Happy belated pride. Alright, with that in mind, let's start talking about that gay shit let's go let's close off this rare pair series the premise of this first fic is only three words nuck tuck body pillows varric has ordered 500 cases of these bad boys and since zuli's sick he's not gonna make her put all the pillowcases on all the pillows and make her work while she's not feeling well because you know he doesn't want to catch her germs not because he cares about her well-being or any pussy ass shit like that varric is a character I, I should dislike him but i just can't he's done some really shitty things but like he's just too charismatic to hate i think that's exactly what they were going for i'm sure there are tons of people who think he's annoying though i'm just still new to the core of fandom though like, I remember saying in the Barslow episode one that nobody hated Ursa. Ha <laughs> ha! That ain't true. But anyways, Varric decides to test out the pillow himself because his assistant isn't around, which means that he has to hump it. Bolin! Meanwhile, this kid needs to drop off some papers for Varric to sign, and he walks in on him straddling the pillow. And Varric's just like, oh shit, what are you doing here? It's not what you think! It's worse, actually. It's 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 worse. And that just cracks Bowen the fuck up instead of horrifying him. And it's worse than it looks because these things are shipping out and all of Bowen's fans are going to be humping their body pillows all night long. My god, ask this kid's permission before making merch of him. And he's a minor too, right? He's 17. So, like, especially, man, body pillows were a mistake. But I gotta say, this fic was not. So this next fic, I'm just going to read this one. It'll be the only full narration I do today. So let's start with a summary. In which Chief Beifong is highly skeptical of the council's latest resolution, but has it satisfactorily explained part of the first annual Republic City Surprise Blowjob Week series. <laughs> 
series <laughs> first annual republic city surprise blowjob week series fuck that name is a mouthful and that's not a pun fuck you there are seven more of these but we're just doing the first fake which is pretty short so i'm just gonna read it first annual surprise what week Pema explains again with an uncharacteristically mischievous smile. Lin Beifong pinches the bridge of her nose. This must have been Tarlock's idea, she says. At least tell me Tenzin didn't vote for it. Yes, it was, says Pema. And actually, yes, he did. What? <laughs> he said it will diffuse the tension that has plagued Republic City in the wake of recent events. Pema does such a good impression of Tenzin that Lin actually almost laughs. Then she remembers who she's talking to and about what and it isn't funny anymore. I don't believe this she mutters this thing's gonna be a legal nightmare how do they think this is gonna work it's actually pretty easy pema says cheerfully we could test it out right now if you like lynn wishes she was drinking tea it would justify the way she suddenly feels like spitting some out what she says you have to admit says pema we do have some tension that could do with diffusing it's all right she adds quietly seeing the way lynn is staring at her you can say no that's part of the rules lynn considers this is a very bad idea it might be one of the worst she's heard and considering who her mother and uncles and aunts were that's saying quite a bit on the other hand pema's right about the tension and she's strangely awfully curious all right she says let's do it oh she thinks some moments later perched on the edge of her desk wall pema explains the council's resolution in greater detail it turns out pema's very good at explaining well so maybe it's not the worst idea so the moral of the story here, I think, is that if you want me to cover your fic, name it something like Surprise Blowjob Week the series. Also, are we implying that Lin has a dick? Because if not, then I think it should be called the first annual Republic City Surprise Cunnilingus and Blowjob Week, or the first annual Republic City Surprise Oral Sex Week, which is less to say than the first annual Republic City Cunnilingus and Blowjob Week. Okay, I'm gonna stop saying first annual Republic City Surprise whatever the fuck week now. I'm out of breath. Whew! Okay, so those last two fics were pretty light and cracky, but it's time to get a little bit darker. Not super dark yet, or explicit, but, you know, not exactly happy either. This fic, Pavira gets released from prison with few conditions. Does it sound like she's about to become a sex slave? Because she doesn't become a sex slave. At least not in this fic. I'm sure someone's written about sex slave Kuvira, but I haven't explored this fandom enough to know that yet. No, the conditions are that Kuvira has to get a job and go to therapy. Just... Fucking imagine being Kavira's therapist. But this fic isn't about Kavira going to therapy and fucking her therapist either. This is about Kavira fucking someone we all know and love, and that's Asami. So she's just out wandering the streets of Republic City, and she sees some newspaper that Korra's engagement to Asami got broken off, and she's like, hmm... I need a job. Maybe Future Industries is the place to start. Just Kuvira reading the fucking tabloids. So she goes to the Future Industries building and asks to speak to Asami, who's apparently just hanging out in the basement. Kuvira fucking listening to elevator music on her way down. Dead ass. That's what it says. <laughs> so she gets there and Asami's like, what the fuck are you doing here, bitch? And Kuvira's like, oh, sorry about killing your dad and all that. Also, please hire me. And then Asami's like, then fucking beg. And makes this bitch kneel in front of her. She puts some, like, anti bending bracelets on Kuvira and decides that she's gonna have to fight her if she wants a job. Like, yeah, my name is Asami Sato. You kill my father, now prepare to die. Like, mm, 
Do I love me a fight scene that just oozes with sexual tension? Yes, I do. There's one little thing about this fic that bothers me, and it's that they call these characters the elder and the younger sometimes. Instead of using their goddamn names, I know it gets redundant, especially when you've got two or more characters using the same pronouns, but it just sounds stupid to use epithets. Just say their names. They throw down. Just a good old-fashioned fist fight, more or less. No bending or electric gloves. And it's a sexy fight. Like, Asami just slams this bitch down and gives her a bloody kiss. And she's like, I have no idea why I just did that, but okay, I'll give you a job. And she offers a draw, and she thinks that Kuvir is going to keep fighting her anyways, you know, in spite of that. But Kuvir just grabs her, kisses her again. And she just makes Asami come by rubbing her through her clothes. That is skill. It seems like it happens pretty quick, too. Man. I want Kuvira to finger me. I didn't just say that. You didn't hear anything. <laughs> Finally, Asami's like, fuck this, and electrocutes her and tells her that her first job is to clean up this mess as she just lays there spasming. And she's just thinking, oh, that's a woman. Oh, <laughs> uh, fuck. I'm not sure if this big made a lot of sense, but I'm, like, too gay to care. The only thing better than a woman who will kill you without thinking about it is two women who will kill you without thinking about it. And Kuvira and Asami are those women. We're like a lesbian army could be better better than two women who will kill you without even thinking about it. The more women who will kill you without even thinking about it, the better. Alright, so let's jump back in time to touch on some last airbender pairings that I didn't get to talk about the last three Rare Pairs episodes. It's time for Ozai to get cocked! <laughs> Zuko's too angsty to be the Fire Lord, I think we all know that. But fortunately, Iroh's there to guide him because he's a fucking saint. Here's a little quote. Zuko, I think it's gonna take more than a fortnight for you to be comfortable in a role you were not adequately prepared for. There will be some growing pains. It is only to be expected. But what if, while I'm learning, I make some horrible mistake and ruin everything? Oh, big fucking mood, Zuko. <laughs> I wish I didn't relate to him so much because he's a dumbass, but I do, and it's fucking sad. Ugh. And Zuko's wondering if he'll actually be a better leader and a better person than his father, and Ira thinks about it this time, instead of just brushing it off like he usually does. And he's like, I think it's time I told you something, Zuko. Come here. A little closer. Okay. I fucked your mom. So the backstory for this is that Ira's wife died, and he would just cry himself to sleep over it. That made me so sad, just imagining Ira crying himself to sleep. He's just wishing for someone he could talk to, and just, you know, not be a lonely-ass bitch anymore. And that's where Ursa came along, and they started to get close. And eventually, they started fucking... And Ursula got pregnant. So Iroh might be Zuko's real dad. And he asks how sure he is of this. And Iroh has like this weirdly specific answer. 75 to 80%. <laughs> and Iroh was really out here planning to never tell Zuko this. Didn't want to start a scandal or some pussy ass bullshit. But he knows for a fact that Azul is definitely Ozai's kid. Because he was separated from Ursula not long after Zuko was born. Then we get to find out what happened to Iroh's wife. And oh, did you think that his life wasn't miserable enough with his son dying? Wrong. Bitch. His wife died giving birth to their second child, who also died, or more accurately, never lived. Oh, she says, At God, give this man a break. He deserves one. And he was terrified when Ursula got pregnant. Can you fucking imagine? But shit turned out fine with that. So it was chill. At least there was a happy ending there, kind of. The last chapter details the romance between Iroh and Ursula. They talk about their feelings and shit together. It's like real intimacy there. And of the emotional variety, not just the physical. One time she leans in to kiss him and Iroh's like, Ursa, my lady, you're married to my brother. We can't do this. But Ursa's like, newsflash, your brother 
mother's wife beating fuck wipe. Now make love to me, you hot piece of ass. <laughs> so Iroh stands up. He's ready to throw the fuck down with Ose, but Ursa tells him that that might get them caught. So every time they meet, they get a little further, and mm, Iroh is good in bed. I fucking believe it. Like, I had Ken that Ose is either a sex god or he's like, hung, hung, splash, when he fucks with no in between. But either way, like, Iroh, at least in his prime, would be better. I have no doubt. Iroh was definitely a sex god at some point in his life. That's basically canon. Change my mind. Actually, don't change my mind. You can't change my mind. So, Zuko's conception is not an accident, but it's unclear who the real dad is because Ursa's still fucking Ozai this whole time to cover up. So, basically, get cucked, Ozai. Fuck out of here! Alright, so for the next fic, there's more Ursa in this one, and Ozai's still getting cucked a little bit, but like not nearly as hard, and he wouldn't even care, really, because it's around the time Ursa gets banished anyways. So, this fic has some Ursa Ozai in it, as you may have expected already, but it's not the pairing I clicked for. Either way, that's where we're starting. So it starts with them like actually loving each other, and Ozai's being like an overconfident dumbass, because that's just who he is. He's just like, hey Ursa, check this out, and he tries to lightning bend, but he knocks himself out like a little dumb bitch <laughs> there's not much the palace physicians can do for him so Ursa's just like all right let's try something that might be a little bit illegal and she rides to a waterbending prison to get access to their healers and she gets Hama and she just offers her her freedom if she helps but everyone knows that's bullshit. They just won't say it. So Hama heals Ozai, and she does say it. She's like, bitch, where's my freedom? Oh, let me guess. I'm free to go back to prison. And Ursa really didn't think this through. But she's like, eh, you can stay at the palace if you want. And Hama's like, eh, prison's prison, even if it's nice. And she just sits there and does fiber arts because there's really nothing to do except jerk off and sew. Also, the color blue, you know, it might as well be banned in the Fire Nation. So I just want wanted a, a depiction of Ursa's side quest to get some blue fabric on the black market for Hama. I wanted that scene. I did. I really did. Meanwhile, Ozai forgot how to have fun after he made his recovery. He's not like, hey, Ursa, look what I can do with this fucking fire. He's just all like stiff and mature and mm, that's gross. And Ursa wants Hama to, quote, change him back. But she's like, yeah, what do you expect him to do? You think he's going to sit down and respond? Back to me? He's a racist dick! What do you fucking think, bitch? <laughs> so, it jumps forward to Zuko's birth, and Ozai's being a dick about it, but by now Ursa's learned that she can't yell at him and be like, hey, that was you just struggling to breathe a few years ago when you hurt yourself with that fancy lightning trick of yours. And then Ursa gets all gross and possessive about Hama spending time with baby Zuko and moves her to a new room. She did it to protect him from her influence, but later on she's like, oh shit, Azula has never even seen Hama but she's like way more fucked up than Zuko so like uh so she walks in on Hama bloodbending a rat once instead of sewing like they've been doing lately like I'm not as afraid of rats as a lot of people they don't gross me out but I'd still be like oh bitch we have rats in our palace but Ursa takes it relatively well I guess bloodbending is scarier than a rat finally we get to where Ursa gets banished and Ursa's like all right I'm taking you with me Hama I got a boat ready and everything you're actually gonna be free this time I'm not bullshitting you and Hama is so happy that she could kiss her which she does and it ends with them like sailing away presumably to the south pole and this time Ursa's being a sad little bitch but Hama's finally happy and does being bitter at least for the time being so like 
happy ending, I guess? Well, it was a very unexpected pairing. Pretty well written. I didn't even think of that one. It could work with canon, but the other said that it's an AU. This new backstory would definitely change some things if it was in the timeline with canon. Okay, so the next fic, we're doing more Hama. This one also isn't very shipping heavy either, so don't get too freaked out. The pairings are more obvious, though. I'm not gonna do this fic justice. There's a lot to unpack here, and I can't get through it all without going heavy on the narration and cutting it to time for other fics. So, also, maybe I'm just lazy, but, like, pretend I didn't say that. So we begin with post-war Katara being kind of sad that the South Pole is being overrun by Northerners and the old unique Southern traditions are being pushed out. But she's not the last Southern waterbender because Hama's still out there having a bad time in Fire Nation jail again. To build a future, you need a past. So Katara thinks she might have something to learn from her, even though she's a crazy ass bitch. So Hama's basically being kept on a desert island in the middle of the ocean, which, you know, waterbender sounds like she can escape easy, but bitch can't get back to land because that shit's far and Hama's fucking ass old so like nah so they'd be hanging out and Hama tells Katara an old story about two water tribe twins to explain the history of bloodbending the female twin was a healer and the male twin was a bloodthirsty warlord always starting shit hurting people back in the day women didn't battle because they chose not to it wasn't about exclusion here's a quote he wounded she healed they chased each other like the moon and the sun how could she end the cycle finally the answer came to her on the full moon when her brother was set to wage another war the height of his power through healing she had come to understand the human body more thoroughly than he ever could to reach inside it and manipulate it she could have torn him apart drop by drop if she'd wanted to but instead she held him in her power and refused to let him fight that whole night there was no violence because she controlled his blood it was an act of desperation but also an act of profound mercy so I think it really raises a question of what creeps us out so much about bloodbending. Katara tries to answer that, but Hama's like, hmm, I don't think you know what the fuck you're talking about. Here's another quote. It felt wrong, though. Invasive. More invasive than hitting them with ice? That affects their body, too. I, I just, I'm not explaining it well. It was too much power. It wasn't just winning a fair fight. I had no right to have that much power over another person. Katara, you keep telling me you ended the war. You changed the world. World. you're rebuilding the world no one told you you could do that no one gave you permission no one even could you took it because to do anything of worth in this world you first need power after taking power over the fate of the entire world you don't feel you have the right to the blood of a single person and Hama goes on that bloodbending isn't all about pain. It can be about pleasure, too, which is pretty much what it sounds like. Hama gets this girl all horny without even touching her, and then, like, Katara really wants her for a moment there. They don't get very far, at least not explicitly, and Katara's like, uh, what is this technique? I need to learn that. <laughs> I can see this totally devolving into porn without plot here, but it doesn't. Someone give me the boner bending narrative, though. <laughs> So eventually, Katara has to update Hama on all that's happened in the last 60 years, instead of Hama telling her all this shit. And she gets to talking about her grandma and Paku being engaged again, and Hama's like, it's time I told you something about your grandmother and I. Light Hama, show me the forbidden water lesbians. 
Yeah, they were gay. And Hama has a little bit of the gay for Katara because she looks exactly like young grandma, I guess. So when Katara finally leaves that desert island to reconnect with the world, Aang tells her that there's trouble in Republic City with the Agni Kai gang and they're using lightning bending. My collective years playing Pokemon are cheering for Katara when she says that regular water bending's not the answer. You know, water may beat fire, but electric beats water and fire beats ice. That shit had me on edge during that Katara and Azul final battle in the show. Like, I was doing Pokemon type matchups the whole ass time. But anyways, Katara suggests, hmm, maybe bloodbending's the way to go. I mean, it's pretty non-violent. I know how much you love that, Aang. And Aang's like, okay, maybe. But what happened on that island, Katara? And quote, Katara smiled, smile too old for her years, mask which held many secrets and said nothing. Jesus Christ, woman, I know I saw some of what happened on that island, but I sure didn't see all of it. What did that, did that woman continue to molest you or, or what happened? So Katara helps put together a police force, which includes Yakone, and he surpasses her skill with blood vending, doing it during the day, using all his mind, and he starts to abuse his power. Fuck the police. So she goes after him, they fight, and Katara loses. Dude, just finesse his ass like you did with Azula. Bloodbending is all about cheating. This doesn't have to be a bloodbending battle only, Katara. You could have beat him if you use your fucking mind. So here's the very ending of the fic where Katara goes to revisit the island where she spent time with Hama. She walked the length of the island again, visited the smallest shack furnished in the Water Tribe way, now mostly reclaimed by sand. She still loved Hama and missed her. Some part of her heart was still that 15-year-old, fiercely obsessed. But she saw the island in its place now only a small length of rock and sand in the vast world, a few months in her memory, a time in her life. Her past was hers, to reorder it as she pleased, to find what meaning she could in it. Katara knew that with what she had learned of bloodbending, she could be an unparalleled healer. And that was who she'd always tried to be, really. There were two sides of her, in struggle, but the side that had won was the side that tried to heal the world and herself, and once had offered what comfort her young heart could to an old woman whose wounds were too deep for healing. That was how she would remember it. So this was a sexy character study about boundaries and culture over time and the hidden dark parts of your culture. I like this one a lot. I could have spent a lot more time on it, broken it down more, but it's time for porn. So even though I thought Legend of Korra book two was definitely the worst season of that show with how it was just so all over the place, you know, switching between being a cop show, political narrative, and then like a spirit world acid trip, Unlock and Vatu has to be my favorite pairing in that whole show. Like as a gay, I love Korosami on principle, but the crack shipping miracle that is Unavatu is unparalleled. Like the day I finished book two, I was just compelled to write an Unavatu and Vatu fic. And it has so many freaking tildes in it, and oh my god, I straight up wrote tentacle porn. But anyways, I'm not here to talk about my own fic, which is called Finally Free, if you so desire to check it out. I'm here to talk about a different fic of the same pairing. In this fic, Unalak has a dream, and he often dreams about spirits in the spirit world, but this time is different because he's in complete darkness, can't see shit. And then Vatu is, he's just like, hey, what's up, dude? I'ma touch you with my tendrils a little bit while I explain who I am. And Vatu is like all weird and sulky in this fic. He's like, hey, uh, the Avatar spirit's light spirit, and Unalak's like, so you're the dark spirit. And Vatu's like, yeah, is there something wrong with that? I don't know if you of all humans might be able to understand. That last line from him is comprised of direct quotes, by the way. The inflection's mine, of course. But Unalak has fucking sibling rival issues, and he's like, Oh, my life being overshadowed by my brother and a spirit thinks? 
that I'm special? Hold up, darkness and chaos, dude. I'm willing to listen. So, Vashu explains that the Avatar's concept of balance is fucked up. If she can just keep her counterpart locked in a tree for 10,000 years, and that waterbending is strongest at night, so darkness isn't evil, it can be good, and that Rafa wanted to make a mockery of Unalak by having the Avatar be born to his brother. And he asks for Unalak's alley ship, and Una has to think about it a little bit. And Vatu will contact him again. And this whole time, by the way, Vatu has been giving Unalak a sweet, sweet tentacle massage. Nothing sexually explicit, but it's like, hmm, something's going on here. And when Unalak wakes up, he has a big old boner. So normally a boner for him is like, well, it's an itch that he's scratching. But he starts thinking about Vatu this time and he gets really into jerking off. (laughs) And he he realizes that he likes to fuck spirits. And that's why he's like practically asexual in real life. Never fucks his wife anymore. Here's the quote that ends it. Vatu seemed to know a great deal of his thoughts. Fatu could even be watching him right now, a thought that briefly made the whole experience even more pleasurable. Would the spirit be offended that he was thinking such things? Would Vatu visit him again in disgust and break off their whole arrangement? Or was this, perhaps, the desired result of Vatu's constant physical contact, which Unalak would have been immensely pleased about, though he would admit it? Every night from then on, he was eager to get back to sleep so Vatu could pay him another visit. He started sleeping away from his wife in places he deemed more spiritual under the guise that he was deep in thought and needed the extra guidance. But it would be months before Vatu visited him again, and when he didn't dream of Vatu, he dreamt of nothing. Unalak, you horny, kinky bastard. <laughs> Just you bastard in general. Okay. I don't know why I like him so much, even though season two kind of sucked. I think it's because he just took a shortcut to world domination. Like, all the other villains, they worked hard for that shit. But Unlock, he was just like, oh, sweet harmonic of conversions is soon. This is just really great timing for me. Like, I guess I like villains that usurp their brother's birthrights, apparently. I don't know. I don't know why I like him, but I do. So, this is fic. This is last fic. It's the most explicit of the bunch, by far. It makes me really happy because of how much I love to make fun of Zuko. And as royalty, he and May are expected to produce an heir. And they've been trying for two years, but things ain't working out. And it's a problem with Zuko. He's sterile. But he has a solution. He orders his own cucking, which is fucking hilarious to me. He just drags Azula out of the asylum so she can produce an heir in his name. Oh, you thought I was like, got cucked good by his big dick sibling? No, that was nothing. This fic features Fuda Azula, so she has all the necessary equipment to knock up Zuko's wife. And May does not like this idea because, you know, she and Azula had shit during the events of the show and all that. But sometimes you gotta lie to the whole Fire Nation because monarchy is fucking stupid. Also, Azula hasn't orgasmed in years. The fuck was she doing in prison? Really, what can there possibly be to do in a prison in the pre-internet pre-TV age except to jerk off. I don't know, maybe she was in a straitjacket the whole time. I bet Ty Lee could like manipulate her chi for a hands-free nut, but Azula doesn't have that type of skill. So Zuko explains the plan, Azula's hyped about this. She wanted revenge against both Zuko and Mei for a long time, and what better way to do it than to brutally fuck Zuko's wife? But she's not gonna get to be in control. Mei's just gonna ride her, which pisses her off. And she's like, if y'all be stealing my cum, then I'm just gonna hold in that nut. How about that? I'm gonna hold back like my life depends on it and you're gonna watch your wife ride me for hours how about that zuzu oh my god poor may they should have just had azula jerk off into a cup and then done like artificial insemination but that's not very good for porn is it now 
Azula's dick is twice as big as Zuko's, end quote. It's probably the biggest in the entire Fire Nation. <laughs> Fucking crazy. So Mei starts to ride her, which is hard to do because, you know, that D is so humongous. Even though she likes sex with Zuko, it's not the same because he got a small pee-pee and they really rub it in that he is a small dick. And then pretty early on in this, even though Mei's getting torn apart by that massive dong, she has her first orgasm during sex. Oh no. Zuko can't make a woman come and he always comes like in a minute during sex oh my god and then you know what's even more oh no Zuko he realizes that he's getting a hard on watching this all happen so because Azula's one strong-willed motherfucker she holds back her orgasm because she just loves revenge that much and they agree that Azula gets to do things her way as long as there's an air produced and Mei tries not to think about how she might actually enjoy Azula being on top and Zuko oh my god boy don't lie to yourself this is what you want you are going to prematurely ejaculate like you always do when you see your wife getting robbed by a bitch with a dick twice as big as yours and then in this, it already killed me Azula fucking hallucinates her mother while she's fucking May. her mother's just standing there and watching her fuck Oh, it's such a small part, but it's still like, oh my god, why? And then Zuko's like, fuck it, I'm a jerk off. So Zula turns May over, fucks her doggy style, and here's a quote. Zula noticed how Zuko was jerking off while washing. <laughs> it boosted her ego. First I will take your wife, and then I will take your throne. I will fuck your wife in front of the entire nation while they behead you. Put the head on your penis, and then your actual head. And May is succumbing to actually feeling pleasure during sex for once in her life. And now Azula has another plan. She wants to fuck May's ass, but she doesn't want to just ram her massive cock in there with no prep. So she asks Zuko to warm May up with his tiny dick first. Here's some quotes from this fucking thing. Even after everything that Azula had done, she still wanted to forgive her. She suddenly remembered something from when they were young. She had walked in on Azula's father beating her. May had quickly ran away frightened. Azula may have been evil, but even someone like her deserved to be loved. May leaned in and placed her lips on Azula. It surprised Azula for a moment, but she knew girls like to get all romantic during sex. Maybe May had developed feelings for her. Of course she had. Every girl that Azula had fucked had always wanted more from her. They wanted her heart. They really thought Azula saw them as anything more than a nice ass and a good pussy pathetic love was for wimps love was for idiots like zuzu <laughs> another quote zuka wanted his wife to feel him he wanted to give her some pleasure as well he began to pound into her harder and harder but when he did so azula also did the same thing may started screaming this was like the sex version of agni kai but this time azula was winning <laughs> here's another quote a bit longer I'm about to come, Zuko moaned, and Azula let go of May's breast and grabbed Zuko's throat and said, Don't you dare come in her ass, I'm gonna fuck her there next. Azula threatened, and Zuko swallowed hard. That gave Azula an idea. I know, why don't you come on the floor and lick it up? That would be hilarious! Azula laughed and held Zuko's throat even harder. She could see the fear in his eyes. He quickly pulled out his cock, but he wasn't going to humiliate by licking his own cum. Azula let go of Zuko's throat and held out two fingers against 
against May's head. Zuko started sweating even more than he did before. If you don't lick up your own cum, say goodbye to this cock slut, Azula demanded. May could have done something in that moment, but Azula's cock had already won her over. She continued to ride Azula's cock, even though she was being held hostage. She didn't care about any of that. She wanted to make Azula come inside her and knock her off. Azula's cock was stimulating every part of her pussy and she enjoyed it so much. Zuko's small cock could never give her this much pleasure. She knew this was her only chance of ever fucking Azula, and she wanted to enjoy every moment of it. She didn't care about anything else. <laughs> oh, my God. <gasps> Here's another short quote. Zuko began licking his cum, and he felt like sobbing. Why did I agree to this? I knew something like this would happen, he thought to himself. His cum tasted like oysters, and he felt like throwing up. He was happy that he had never cummed in May's mouth before. <sighs> Oh, this boy is so pathetic here. <laughs> and he's the most boring vanilla bitch ever. It's because he never lasts long enough a bit to try anything fun. Oh my god. This man has a sad existence. <laughs> Here's the last quote. May was already too far gone to ever go back to that small little cock of Zuzu's. This bitch had officially been Zulified. I like how they needed both small and little to describe Zuko's dick. So Zula nuts in May and Zuko runs away before he can see Zula demand a blowjob and May happily comply. The next chapter skips a few months ahead and Zula has now ruined Zuko's marriage. May goes to visit Zula in prison and they love each other, I think? And Ursa is still standing in the corner in Zula's hallucination while May gets fucked. Are you fucking serious? <laughs> Oh, I think my favorite part of this fic is really that Ursa just keeps appearing in a hallucination, watching them fuck. I just, oh my god, Zuko, he's just such a dumbass. I can't stress this enough. He really had to go to his sister like that and get played. Okay, so that's it for the Rare Pair series, at least for now. I don't know if there's going to be more in the future, but I think I'm putting it on hold. So today we covered 500 cases of pillowcases by some underscore storm, test subject by Rinwinds, Requiem of the Great Uniter by Kruger underscore crows, Iro's Secrets by Lily49, A Nice Flow, Slowly Drifting Out to Sea by Amber, spelled A-M-B-Y-R, Red Monsoon by Eif, spelled A-I-F-F-E, Obsession by Wavered Wyvern, and Azumi's Real Daddy by Daddy Dion. The Bar is Low is on Instagram. You can find us at The Bar is Low with an underscore in between each word. Follow us. You'll know what's coming up next. If you have a fic to suggest, feel free to get in contact with me. And if you want to drop a rating review on iTunes, that'd be real cool. I'm not going to beg you for five stars. Give me however many damn stars you think I deserve. And as always, I'm your pal once you get started. This is The Bar is Low. Thank you for joining me. And that is all for today.